A welcome gift is available for new visitors and can be picked up at the connection site in the back of the sanctuary following worship. Fill out your friendship card to get on our mailing list, sign up for activities, list any prayers or concerns, and any notes for the staff. Welcome to our church. We are glad to have you here at church this morning, and one of our opportunities for ministry on our clipboard is to help with the fish fries. We serve 690 dinners on Friday. Uh, we more or less ran out of food about quarter after six. Um, so you can imagine how hard you are all hustling. We're kind of short staff. So if you can help out, we'd love to have you come down to join us. And if not, come and join us and eat at dinner. Speaking of dinners, our second opportunity for ministry on the clipboard is to help with our Seneca Street dinners down in Buffalo. And if you can participate or help with that, we would appreciate it. I also want to mention that there's a minute a meeting for certified lay ministers at 1 o'clock this afternoon in the back of the sanctuary. And other than that, let's turn our hearts to the Lord's prayer. Dear God in heaven, we pray your blessing upon us, that you will touch us and be with us, and that you would help us to experience the living God in this place. Be our strength, be our glory, be our presence, be our worship. As we pray in peace. Amen. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand as we're going to sit together. Be joyful, joyful, and be adored.
moment if you will and greet your neighbor with a piece of the spirit. And the ways in which they help us, I just get thanks. 
So as we thank to God for all the blessings He gives to us, as we turn our thanksgiving with our morning tithes and our
givers, Lord. Give them great showers of blessing today. it's in Jesus' name. Please be seated. We have a number of things listed on our, our list here of people. I don't want to miss any of these, so I'm going to go ahead and read them. Anna Kate Anderson uh, is having multiple health issues. We want to keep her in our prayers. Kathy Dill has pneumonia. Norm Kimberly has health concerns going on. Corey Martinucci fell and hurt himself pretty badly, so we want to pray for Corey to, Corey to be healed. That was actually here at church. Sarah Hennages fell and broke her shoulder. Um, Bob Walk has had surgery on his hand, uh, as has Ron Elman. They're both healing. I had two or three more walking around with Kate this morning, so it's like an outbreak, I guess. Uh, we want to be in prayer for Renee Bider, whose dad is in the hospital. Lorinda Morris is going through cancer treatments. And Pastor Lisa, who you will notice is not with us this morning, because she came in at the 815 service and she and I said, really, you have no reason to be here, Pastor Lisa, go home. <laughs> so she did. So I took her on for a wedding. You know, I've always said there's only one thing that's an occupational destruction for a pastor. Take away our voice, and we're done. We're out of work. That's, that's basically it. So, so anyway, let's uh, turn our souls and our hearts to the Lord. I know we have a few things to lift up. So let's share with everybody. Dear God in heaven, you have blessed us in so many ways. And we gather here, Lord, to thank you and praise you for all the wonders you've done in our lives. We also, Lord, lift up our concerns. People who are struggling with illnesses and sicknesses and going through treatments. People who are dealing with broken limbs and broken hands and needs for healing. People who are just hurting in their hearts wrestling with issues in their relationships, the anxieties and frustrations of trying to work through life. People who are facing uncertainty and words. Or there's so many things that run through our hearts as we come here. And we brought things we want to share with our Heavenly Daddy. You know what's in our heart, Lord, that we need to share. So listen, Lord, as we take a moment Offer up our prayers. And now, dear God, pour out showers of blessings. Let your Holy Spirit so fill our hearts that it crowds out all these worries. All these troubles and anxieties, fill us up, Lord, with you, with your presence, with your strength, with your wisdom. Let the scriptures speak to us words from long ago guide our lives today. Be our strength. Help us to meet you and touch you and receive your holy presence in this place as we come in songs or in prayers or at the table. Lord, come and meet your people. Bless us because we're coming out of it. We pray, Lord, that you be upon us now, this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Shall we listen to the word of God? 
13, verses 22 to 29. Hear these words of the Lord. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling in his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver, and take the silver with you, and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you with all the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. Life's not fair. <clears throat> they haven't figured it out yet. Life specifically isn't fair. Some people are attractive, some people are not. Some people are tall, some are short. Some people have two parents, some people have one, some people have four, some have none. <coughs> some have extra money. Some don't have much. Some people work hard, some people don't. Some people have a snowblower. Some people have a block. Some people only have a shovel. Some people have the pipes break in their church and the water comes pouring out and ruins the preschool way. And I have to hang drywall at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. That would be me. Some people don't. Life's not big. God puts together a simple formula in his Bible for how to deal in a proper way, in a simple way, with this inequity. He says people who work hard and end up with great blessings should be able to keep the majority of what they've earned for themselves, but they should set aside a small portion, and what he suggests is what he calls a tithe, which is 10%, for the work of God and the help of the poor. We have a struggle going on in our culture today. A struggle between the concern for the community and the rights of the individual. Apple is resisting a lawsuit from the United States government. Apple says people have the right to privacy and shouldn't have to worry about the government getting into their business. The government says sometimes the rights of the individual should not take precedence over the whole community and we need the ability to get into these private things in case there's acts of violence. We have people arguing that some people have unfairly not received enough wealth in this culture, and others have more than they could possibly need. And we have another group of people who are arguing people work very hard to receive what they have and shouldn't have people who don't want to do anything take it away. 
The problem is we don't have an argument between right and wrong. We have an argument between right and right and wrong and wrong. Do you follow? There's right on both sides and there's wrong on both sides. If you were living in the desert as these people were, you have to learn how to rely on each other. It's necessary. If you don't have the ability to rely on each other, you're never going to possibly make it through the desert. On the other hand, we want to encourage somewhere along the line for people to do more and be successful, and so we want to encourage ingenuity and hard work and things like that. So God put together something called tithing, which I'm going to talk about this morning, and I know people don't like it when the church talks about money. Some people think all the church ever does is talk about money or ask for money. Truth of the matter is, you've never heard me ask for money for the church from this pulpit. I never have. I don't intend to ever need to. I would make God into a beggar. Only time I've ever asked for money is for people outside of our church, for missions around here. When we do a mission moment, you take a choice which ones you'll support. It's to help people outside the church, not this church. But it is right to talk about it so that we can understand what's right. And don't worry, I'm not trying to convince you of something because the offering's already been taken. <laughs> we all ask for a tithe, which is 10%. Which to some people sounds like a lot of money and a lot of, a lot of what we have, and it is. On the other hand, the government asks for 40%. So think of it in that perspective. Tithing has three purposes. To, pro to prove our love for God, to provide for the needs of the poor, and to provide for the kingdom work of God in this world. We give our gifts to God for God's kingdom work. In our world, we don't think anything of paying people to excel in athletics, or paying people to excel at music, or at art, or at sports, or science, or business. And what this says is the people who do the work of God should be compensated. In this case, they refer to them as the Levites, which was one of the tribes of Israel that God said were not allowed to own the land, were not allowed to have an inheritance. They simply work for God, and the people should take care of them. I'm a Levite, in case you didn't know. I don't, I don't build up some inheritance in all this work I do. I don't own the church, just so you know that. I don't own any of this. I don't even have a part in it. I work on it for God. And I rely on the people of this congregation to provide me with enough, uh, enough of an income so that I don't have to go work somewhere else. I don't really get paid to work here. I get paid so I don't have to work somewhere Except hanging drywall, which is going to happen at 9 a.m. on Monday morning in the precinct. It's not that I'm not without other skills, or I couldn't earn an income somewhere else, but God has called me to set my life apart, as other people do as well, to do the work of God, and so those who earn an income in another way, and I'm the one of you, so I know what that's like, give something to support the work of God. It's as simple as that. And then the church, in turn, provides for the people. And here it talks about everybody getting together for a big meal. Whether you knew it or not, the Bible often says we should get together and eat together. Eating together is biblical because it draws us together like family. Family are the people that share meals together. We're a family. When we eat together, we smile and we're happy and we like each other. So we should have dinners in churches and we should eat together. But the church provides for a whole lot of things besides that. The church provides worship services. It provides things for our children, for our teenagers. It provides a building for us to have various activities in. The church provides for the community and some of the needs of the people around us. 
The church provides counseling. The church is there for funerals, for weddings, all sorts of different things. You know that if you've come to any church for any length of time. So what you give goes back to you in much part. That's how it works. We give to the church, and the church gives back to us in some form or another. Now, it doesn't come back in the same way as it's received. Because the church does say that those who have a lot should be able to give more than those who have a little. And that's why it gives a percentage so that those who have more can give more, and those who have less give less. We get equal benefit. It's not necessarily equal giving. But God expects us to do this. So that we can share with one another the things of God and the work of God and the things that we need to nurture our faith life and our community life and our children growing up and our elderly being cared for and our trouble being counseled. The church also provides for the opportunity of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. God has blessed us with his saving grace. Amen? And so if God gives us this wonderful blessing of his peace and his eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins and all these great things that can change and transform our very lives, well, we need to be able to have the ability to go out and share that with the rest of the world, and the church provides for that as well, bringing the salvation of God to the world that can change the world and take away a lot of its brokenness. So what the church does with our tithe at first is it provides for the kingdom work of God. But the tithe is also for the poor. Matthew chapter 25 talks about the sheep and the goats, and Jesus says, what you've done for the least of these, you've done for me, and what you don't do for the least of these, you don't do for me. And Jesus is talking about us. He's saying we are supposed to provide for the poor. Throughout the scriptures, God says we're supposed to help those who are struggling, those who are poor, those who are in need, those who just simply need a friend. If the sky above you should turn dark and full of clouds And that old north wind should begin to blow Keep your head together And call my name out loud now Soon I'll be knocking on your door. That's right. If you need a hand, I'm there for you. Now, hey, it's me again, Bob Sled, ready to go knocking at your door. Get it? Knocking at your door with some lessons learned from going through some fierce winters here in Buffalo, New York. We've gotten a lot of snow over the past few days. Treacherous driving, driveways needing to be cleared, slippery walkways, and yet we get through it. How, you might ask? We get through it together. Some of you who aren't from around here might think I'm talking about having little kumbaya moments and not understanding the significance and importance of what I'm talking about. Going through the perils of winter not only makes us stronger, but it also makes us aware of people who may need some help. And if you live in Western New York, then you know that one of the greatest lessons we learn from going through winter here is to look out for one another. We even have a nickname here, the City of Good Neighbors because it's been ingrained in us from the start to look around and see who may need some help. Someone with a snowblower or some strong young folks with shovels are seen clearing the driveways and walkways for those who can't get around so well anymore. Someone goes off the road and lands in a snowbank or ditch, 
We don't leave them there handled alone. People driving by stop, and neighbors come out too, and we all work together. Come on guys, push, push, we're so close. We're right there, push, 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 and, and we're there, and the car is free! Now, the whole point in this is just to get the vehicle back on the road. In Western New York, we're strong because we know we can depend on each other. Checking on neighbors when the power's out, sharing our generators, and sharing whatever help we can give to those around us because we're all in this thing together. Going through winters reminds us not to be selfish and instead we each do our part. It's a great lesson that makes a difference in who we are. We are the city of good neighbors. So be a good neighbor and be a friend to someone in need. You just call up my name And you know wherever I am I'll come running All you got to do is call And I'll be there, yeah, yeah, yeah You've got a friend We got a call to help each other. You know, as a church, we've got generators in the garage. If your power goes out, there was a call. If you see somebody grab a side of the road, you're going to help them out. God in this passage says we need to help the people who are poor. You see, the, the way the, the, the sacrificial system worked back then is the people who were wealthy brought a lot. They brought, they brought a cow. They brought, they brought lambs. They brought food, big food to eat. And the people who were poor brought what little they had. And then they had a huge barbecue. When I was young and starting out in life, my wife and I could afford to be. We'd have crack macaroni and cheese or spaghetti or something like that during the week. And then on the weekend, we'd go to Mount and Dad's and get real thin. I don't think so many remember that. Well, this is what it was like back then. They knew that the poor people couldn't afford to eat right, so God set up a system where the sacrifices were brought into the temple. They had a huge barbecue, and rich and poor all ate together. And all were fed with a good, nutritious meal. It's kind of like what we do up in Niagara Falls with our dinners there. That's not a soup kitchen, you know. Anybody can come and eat there. We have people there that are perfectly well off financially. We have people that are desperate. And you can't tell sometimes which are which. In a typical soup kitchen, the people with money are on one side of the table and the poor people are on the other. Not Niagara Falls. You have no idea who's cool. Because we just get together as a family and eat together. Because that's what we're supposed to do. To treat everybody as the children of God that they are. In this passage in verse 28 and 29, it says that two-thirds of the income of the church is to go towards taking care of the church, but one-third is supposed to go towards taking care of the poor. The widow, the orphan, the foreigners in your land, the people who don't have the ability to take care of themselves, we're supposed to take care of. We're responsible to do that. And in fact, I don't know if you're aware of it, that's the basis for why the IRS gives churches a tax exemption. It has nothing to do with religion. You can be as religious as you want. You don't have any right to a tax exemption. The reason the government makes churches tax exempt is because we do things for the community that if we stop doing them, then the government would have to do. 
And if we're not doing anything for people that are poor and in need and, and, and helping folk in the community, then they should take our tax exemption as well. That's just the way it should be. Because it's about helping people. It's what God calls us to do as a church. It's supposed to help the struggle. What we're doing for each of these matters. God calls us to be people with a heart and with compassion. The other day, I was trying out my new uh, four-wheel drive here. I've never had one, so I figured, you know, now I can go through any snow anywhere. <laughs> right? So I had to turn around in the road, and I saw there was about a foot of snow in the, in the uh, shoulder, and I thought, oh, that's I got a four-wheel drive here. So I spun the vehicle around, and basically it got stuck. Now, it's really embarrassing to be stuck in a four-wheel drive vehicle, i got to tell you. So I'm rocking it back and forth and back and forth. There's traffic coming down the road. Now, you know, none of them stopped to help me or to push me out. But not only that, they didn't even stop so that if I did get traction, I wouldn't pull out and run into them. I want to get out of the car and say, what's the matter with you people, huh? But that's not the way it usually works. I don't know if you've noticed, but typically, you get stuck. If you're stuck for any length of time, people just appear from somewhere. How many of you have ever been stuck on the side of the road where people just appeared and pushed you out? And oftentimes, they disappear before you can even say thank you. They're gone. They're off. This angels working in disguise. How many of you have heard of those people pushing somebody off? Yeah. You see, because it all goes around. It all goes around. We do things to help others, and it gets paid forward again and again. And God calls us as a church to be those kind of people. People who are friends. People who are there to help one another when they can't help themselves. When we were young, we weren't very wealthy. We could not afford to go out ever. My wife and I didn't go out to dinner ever. Except when my parents would take us out on Friday nights for a fish fry. Okay? Now, back in the day, a fish fry was like, what, $2.30, something like that? Right? Remember that? And you got a beer for 50 cents. It was in a glass about this big. But, you know, you could get a beer for a half a buck and a fish fry for $2.30. We didn't go to Russell's, get, you know, fancy steaks. We just got a basic meal. But this was incredible for us because we never got to go out after. So we appreciated that. And I thank my dad and say, don't worry about it, dummy. One of these days you'll have money, and then you'll pay me back. You'll be paid the bill. What goes around, it comes around. If we have a sharing and a giving part as people and as a church, it will come back to us. It's part of what we do. So we give our gifts to the church for, for God's work in for the kingdom of this world and to help the poor. And because of what God wants. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, he says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? I know it doesn't say that there, but we know that, right? And the second is like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Which means that we're supposed to actually go out and do loving actions for people. Love somebody's driveway just because you can you got a snowboard, do an extra sidewalk or two. Someday somebody will do it for you. That's how it works with the church and with people of God. And I think most of all, the gifts we give to God, the ties we offer to God, 
is to prove our love for God. It says in this passage that we do this so that people will learn to revere God. Time that you see is enough that it's a real sacrifice, but not so much that it takes away our ability to live. 10% is enough that we go, oh, I notice that being gone, but not so much that we go, how am I going to survive without it? God developed this intentionally so that we prove that God's more important than anything, including even our money. Now, in the original days, as it talks about here, people bring the produce of, of their, their efforts, you know? And it was an agricultural society, so they brought basically produce. I, I know a little bit about this, because when I worked out in Wyoming County, they only paid me a tiny little salary. I made $75 a week as a pastor, and they would supplement it with food. So I had one guy who'd bring me grocery bags full of prime cuts of beef. Sweet, right? Uh, you know, one time he asked why I was so grateful. I said, you have any idea how much this cost in the store? He said, what, about six, seven bucks? He raised cattle. That tells you how much the, the, the markup is between the farm and the store. Others would bring me, bring me what they grew in their garden. I did get tired of the zucchinis that looked like Bam Bam's club. But they were paying you with produce. It was part of what we did. We don't do that because that's not practical in our culture for the most part. To load up the, the, the whole front end of all kinds of stuff and then we'd have to go out and figure out how to sell it. And some of us don't even do anything that actually creates a product. So what, what are we going to bring? So instead, we do it what it says in here. We exchange it for our money. We bring it before God. And the purpose, as it says in verse 23, is that we learn revere God. That's important that we learn to revere God because basically this is not natural behavior for a person. Think of babies. Babies are the most selfish creatures on the face of the earth. You know, I got married, so we gave two. That's a 100% increase. 
We had a baby, so we gave three. That's a 50% increase, if you didn't notice. It's only three bucks. But I have to tell you, as life went on, by the time we were in our mid-20s, we were given probably about 5% of our income. And by the time we were in our late 20s, we were given, we were given a tithe. But I've learned not to tithe anymore. I stopped tithing the Bible because God's blessed me more than I ever would expect. And so the tithe isn't enough. Not to really prove what God means and what God has done for me. So we stopped tithing a while ago. I don't know what the right amount is. I'm not really worried about a specific dollar amount. What proves that God is more important than anything else? And you know, churches need to tithe too. They need to give of themselves outside of what they are. In the Bible, they had something called a burnt offering. Or what they do is they take and bring the, the, the sacrifice and burn it to a crisp so that nobody got any benefit out of that except God. Years ago, when they kept the offering up here on Sunday mornings, this would be the point in the sermon where I'd reach in and pull out some money and burn it and flip you all out. And people go out of here and burn it. Now people are money. Oh my gosh, the world will come to them. I burn the dollar bill. They freak. Because God really not always our God. Often it's that much. But we don't usually do burnt offerings in our church. We just simply give it away. Give it to somebody where it will have no benefit to us. Send it to Nicaragua. Ship it off to people in Buffalo. Have somebody somewhere where it will have absolutely no possibility of coming back to us. That's a burnt offering. And it proves our faith in God, which is the primary reason why we give our gifts to God. Yes, it will do human work. Yes, it helps support, but mostly it proves who we are to God and to ourselves. We made a false choice in our world. A choice as if we have to take care of ourselves or we have to take care of the community. We have to give away everything we have or we have to keep it all so tight that there's no room for anyone else. A choice between selfishness or some sort of communal slavery. And that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to work together. In the book of Genesis, in the, in the second chapter, it says, God said it's not good for people to be alone. He'll make people to help each other. We need people to help us through life so that we can move through this culture in a healthy way and live in this world in a proper way. We become too focused on on rugged individualism. We become too focused on, it doesn't matter what you do, you should be taken care of anyways. We have to find the balance again. Reset it. So that we're a family of people that care for each other, look out for one another, and respect each other individually as well. This choice that's being put out is not a real choice. It's a false choice. It's a deception. It's the lie in our culture. We can take care of ourselves while we take care of each other. Amen? God calls us to a balance. But it starts with who we are and how we approach each other. People ask me, how much should I give? What if I'm poor? Should I, should I still give? Of course. Poor people need to feel they're a part of it too. They need to feel that they contributed something. We need, we need to, to have everybody feel that this is everybody's work. But you see, when we ask the question, how much, we've already abandoned the 
right way of thinking. When I need to get a gift from my wife, I don't ask myself, how much do I think I have to spend on her so I'll be okay? Really? I wonder if I get away with 20 bucks for that. Really? Really? I walk in thinking, how much do I get to spend on my wife? How much do I have the opportunity to share with the person I love? Second Corinthians chapter 9 says it this way. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give because we want to give. Not because we have to give, but because He gives us joy in our heart take care of the kingdom work, to help the poor, and prove our love to God and say thankful this to God. In Luke chapter 6, it says to us, give it to give it to you a good measure, press down, shake it together, running over, and pour it in your lap. For the measure of you, it will be measured against you. My dad used to say to me, don't worry, Tommy, someday you'll get a chance to pay me back. I did get a chance to buy a dinner a few times. I had the opportunity occasionally to, to, to pay the bill. My mother didn't like it very much, but, but once in a while I got a chance to pay the bill. But nowhere near enough to pay him back for as many times as he fought for me. So I've decided the only way I can pay my father back is to take other people out for dinner, to buy other people something, to do something for other people who wouldn't otherwise be able to do it. So I like to buy dinner for people. I really do. I enjoy being the guy who picks up the bill. Why? Because every time I do, I say, pay you back, Dad. I feel the same way about what I can give for God, what I get the opportunity to do for God. Because God has given me an abundance. Life's not fair. It's not fair. As Christians, we've been given the gift of eternal life. Some people don't have that. As Christians, we've had our sins forgiven. We have the presence of God Himself in our lives. We have a church people to be a part of. And this is a great church. Some people don't have that. Some of us have an abundance of stuff or of, of wealth or whatever it might be, and, and God has given that to us. God does that. We need to figure out how are we going to say thanks? How are we going to say thanks for all that God has given to us? For our salvation, for our church, for families that love us and that we can love. For the roof over our head, for the food that we eat, for the breath of life that we breathe, for the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which run our earth, over and above us, Lord of all you need.
It's so easy to go back to that primal instinct to think it's all about us and worry about us and get fearful about us and get selfish again. This is part of who we are built into us. And so sometimes we've got to come before God and we have to admit we're broken and we need help. When we come to the table to receive this lesson, we come first to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness so we can be made right with God again. So I invite you to join me in our prayer. Dear God in heaven, Dear God in heaven I have sinned. Sin. I've been selfish. I put other things before you. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to be faithful. Lord, I have other sins. You know what they are. They're deep in my heart. I brought them to share with you. So listen, Lord, as I Christ invites all those who seek after him to come to the table of the Lord. You don't need to be a member of this church. You don't need to be of some particular creed or anything else. If you seek Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you desire to have God in your life, you're welcome at the table of the Lord at our church. We ask that you take communion by what we call intention. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and communion. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. It's a good thing always and everywhere to give thanks to God. In the midst of blessings, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of, of joys, and in the midst of sorrows, God is there for us and God blesses us. And so we return our thanksgiving and with all the people on earth and all the angels in heaven. We praise his name and join their unending hymn in saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of our mind, heaven and earth are full of glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you. Blessed is he who comes, Jesus Christ. Who came to forgive our sins? Who came to die 
life we might live. You came to love us in spite of ourselves. You came to be with us even though we betrayed him. For it was on the very night that he was betrayed by his disciples that he took the bread. He gave thanks to God and he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you, for the forgiveness of sin. Eat of this, remembering me. When the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to God. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink of this. Remember your way. And so in remembrance of this mighty acts of Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and in thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offered for us as we proclaim the mystery of it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is Lord on our hand. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, Lord. On these gifts of bread and cup, that they might be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, living to revere you, living to bless those around us, living to be an example of the living Christ in this world, change and transform the brokenness and the healing, the hurt and the grace the pain, and the love. Be with us, Lord, and help us to walk through life as an example of you, that the world might be drawn to this day and to your grace. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now as Jesus taught us pray, let us join together and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Now those who are helping with serving
You know, my father let me buy him dinner a few times. Not enough. My mother would strenuously object. She didn't think we should ever be buying dinner for them. But my dad knew that sometimes it's important to learn how to receive again. The Bible says it's better to give than to receive, but that means that you sometimes have to give the gift to other people to let them give to you as well. You think God needs your stuff? You think God Almighty needs your money or needs your things? That he couldn't just simply create it anytime he wanted to? But he graciously receives our gifts as a token of our love for him, as our way of saying, Thank you, Daddy. He takes these things we bring, and he really doesn't even need. And he looks at us and he says, Thank you so much. This is such a wonderful gift. Like the child who's brought a homemade something for their parents. May God bless you. May God bless you with the abundance that you might be able to, to, to share with the world. The wonderful gifts God has given you. May God bless you with a heart to receive and to give. And may God bless you to come and hang drywall at 9 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>